today on the Wolf Brothers podcast, we have Pippi from the Pip Foundation. Um, I actually, it's funny, I had to ask Cormac an hour ago what your real name was. Now, hmm. I did, I did know, but because your name is just, um, because you referred to as Pippi all the time, I actually forgot. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not the first one. There's people that know me my whole life and didn't realize my name was Porik. Like, do you know what I can say? It's, yeah, it's funny. Nicknames <laughs> stick, don't they? Yeah, man, 100%. And what I wanted to, just for anyone that's listening, is if you wanted to just um, explain what the PIP Foundation is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the PIP Foundation is effectively PIP stands for uh, prosperity in people. And really what we're focused on is exactly that and ensuring that people can be as prosperous as possible with a particular focus on um, the vulnerable in in society, uh, be it the mentally vulnerable, the physically uh, vulnerable, uh, those on the streets and in homeless capacities and so on. And um, originally we were the shine a light organization and we rebranded in the last year or so as you know yourselves uh to the prosperity in people foundation and within that there's i suppose three key pillars the first of which uh, revolves around uh, distribution so the distribution of essential goods uh, to homeless hands and vulnerable hands up and down the country so we collect anything and everything that's applicable um to these people, so your clothing, your non-perishable food items, your hygiene products, and, and your liquids. And out of those um, goods, we assemble PIP care packs. And in each PIP care pack, we aim to have a hat, a glove, a pair of gloves, a pair of socks, a jacket, a t-shirt, a jumper, uh, a pair of pants if we have, have them, some trainers if we have them, uh, some hygiene products like your toothbrushes, your uh, toothpastes, uh, your shower gels, particularly if homeless people happen to get themselves into temporary accommodation, that they've got that at their disposal. And then we've got our liquids. So your uh, your water, very simple, but a necessity. Your uh, sugary drinks, your Lucozade bottles, and your non-perishable food items like your um, energy bars, your cereal bars, your uh, pastas, your soup sachets, pot noodles, and so on. We've got various... Um, donation points across the country where we collect all those we assemble the packs and then we distribute them we distribute them in the major cities uh, across ireland so we recently had a, a campaign on the 18th of december in uh, dublin city where we distributed a total of 120 care packs uh, to 120 uh, vulnerable people mostly being uh, homeless people within uh, the city itself so that that's kind of the first key pillar within um the the prosperity and people foundation which um, is important. The second revolves around education. So we're heavily involved, as you guys know, in uh, schools and clubs and societies and businesses uh, whereby we give talks on overcoming adversity and giving back to those who need it most and um, touching on some of the adversity that uh, we might have felt in our own lives. And I, I know I'm sure we'll probably touch on bits and bobs uh, here throughout this podcast today. But also going through some of the statistics around homelessness, you know, at the moment, at the minute, there's over 8000 people homeless uh, in this country. Uh, half of those are um, young people going into their second and third Christmas in, in temporary accommodation. You know, there's 8000 homeless, but there's 183000 vacant dwellings. So 
you know, let's do the maths on that one. It's um, it's it's simply a problem that should not exist. Um, there's more than enough housing out there uh, for these people and social housing and, and that sort of thing. So it's about education. It's about creating awareness uh, around some of the statistics and problems that exist on, on the streets today. Um, and the, the third, I suppose, key pillar there revolves around prevention. And that's where you guys come in. That's where I come in uh, and a stronger capacity with regards to pipsqueaks. And really, I suppose, when we talk about pipsqueaks and we think about pipsqueaks, we think about people who are vulnerable, right? We think about um, people who are vulnerable in society. And, and that's why it's very important that you and I and the other pipsqueaks um, involved in the Prosperity and People Foundation stand up and say, well, actually, it's okay to be a pipsqueak, you know, and almost destigmatize what it means to be a, a pipsqueak and stand up tall and say, well, actually, I'm very proud to be a pipsqueak. And often it's the, the, the weaker and the more vulnerable voice that has uh, so much more um, to offer, you know, and when we think of homelessness, like where does it start? It starts with a social problem, an economic problem, um, a problem with developing relationships, a problem around our mental health or our social well-being, our physical well-being, uh, and so on. And that's where the pipsqueaks come in to, to create awareness on the importance of being physically active, uh, for example, or to, to destigmatize on issues around addiction or bipolar, uh, schizophrenia, depression, and so on. Um, to educate, you know, on, on building routines and, and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and, uh, and really just to inspire others, I suppose, to, to be prosperous in themselves. And hopefully with that, uh, they can avoid some of the same pitfalls that you might have fallen into, lads, um, with some of your experiences that I might have fallen into with some uh, of my own experiences. And the services, as you like to call them, uh, that are offered there from the pipsqueaks are, are very much... Um, I suppose, open to everybody in terms of, you know, you can actually reach out to a pipsqueak, a pipsqueak uh, on the um, the website anytime, you know, um, www.pipfoundation.ie. You can get in touch with Cormac tomorrow and, and have a chat with Cormac. You can get in touch with Daryl. You can have a chat with Daryl. You can get in touch with myself and ask any questions around our specific topic areas, be it depression, be it anxiety, be it addiction, uh, be it getting on top of our diet or... or uh, building solid routines and we're starting something in the next couple of weeks that's aren't we where um, I think it's the 31st of January every Monday a pipsqueak will take over our social media platforms and and showcase what it actually means to build a routine what it actually means to get comfortable being uncomfortable what it actually means uh, to develop skills or resilience um, so we can be uh, become more prosperous in ourselves so that's the short, long-winded uh, version of it there, but we're moving in a good direction. I've always said it. I, I actually wish we didn't have to do this. Um, I wish we didn't have to, to, to put together the PIP Foundation to help vulnerable people, but unfortunately we do. And the problem only seems to be worsening, doesn't it? And I, that's all, like, it's so good what you're doing. Very noble. Um, and I think as well, what's so important is, come back down to like the education and yeah. try and maybe help prevention. Did you mention what prevention? Yeah. Prevention of it, um, is more, is probably the most important. Um, yeah. because or maybe I shouldn't say that, but chopping it down before it grows. Yeah. Um, and 
what you've said there, I know it's really stuck with me. There's eight thousand homeless and one hundred eighty-three thousand vacancies. It's like, yeah, vacant where, dwellings. Where's yeah? Where is the <clears throat> block there? Like, how? Where's the logic in it? Like, what's stopping them? Or is, or is that too much of a big question? But oh, it's a it's a massive question. If I had the answer to it, sure, there'd be no such thing as homelessness. You know, I think. Um, we could get into a really deep conversation here around, um, I suppose, some of the charitable work that's done yeah. um, within not just homelessness, within any sphere. And a lot of the time, the agenda isn't what it should be, you know, and often the bottom line is monetary uh, goods related. Um, and there's a lot of people and a lot of organizations making a lot of money because there's homelessness there's a lot of similar similar to, to mental health similar to physical well-being you can look at any facet of life today uh, that's negative for us in terms of obesity um cardiovascular disease wherever it might be there's a lot of money uh, in these things and um as i always say you know money is is the root of of all evil and there's no simple answer to it i think the excuse at the minute is there's 183,000 vacant dwellings but are they signed off for health and safety you know what I mean? Little things like that from a, a construction point of view, which probably I don't understand and maybe I'm a little bit naive to, but I look at a building and I say, that's an empty building. And right now there could be people dwelling in that building rather than sleeping on the streets. You know what I mean? Dead right, 100%. And I'm going to go back to like what you were saying with the pipsqueaks. They're there for people to talk if it's whether it's addiction problems or whatever mm. it is. And that comes under that's the whole prevention thing and it's why we set up wolf academy that's yeah. where Cormac's idea came from was to because Cormac has tried to help the homeless as well so yeah. his idea was obviously to walk back and try to prevent that mm -hmm. and it's only because of our experiences that we're supposed we're doing that work um with wolf academy mm -hmm. what what was it that happened in your life that led you to want to set up the pip foundation yeah jesus a good question how long is a is a string of rope i, I could talk for for ages on this and um, <laughs> well let's uh maybe the, you, you mentioned i listened to you talk before and yeah kind of mentioned it to me just i think what happened to you in when you're in yeah. the us at that time maybe if you just yeah. go back to that yeah happened. yeah yeah for sure so look i suppose oh, 2016 wasn't it hard to believe um five six years ago now I was in the United States, got offered a very good opportunity to go to the United States from uh, the University of Limerick on an exchange program at the time. Now, at the time, I had a lot of my own uh, personal demons when I went, when, when I went out there. And in a weird way, it all happened at the right time for me. I went to the States. I was representing the university. I was studying out there uh, in physical education and English teaching. What were you representing them in? Uh, I just represent on, on exchange, like oh, studying. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I was only out there a week. You know, I landed on on American soil and I was picking up my usual bad habits at that particular time in my life, with issues around addiction and, and um, drink and drug abuse and that sort of thing. And a uh, long story short, we, we took a, a road trip to a place called Lake Tahoe. And there was about an eight hour drive from where we were staying at the time, myself and my uh, four other roommates uh, headed on our way. And we were about two hours into the trip. We got a, a puncture in a place called Death Valley, you know, ironic. And um, 
at the time, none of us knew how to change a tire. And I have to say, <laughs> I, I have to say, boys. How many of you was there? Five of us in the car now. Was, yeah. yeah, yeah, awful. And I have to say, I still can't change a tire, which is even worse, you know. Uh, <laughs> but um, that's definitely but, not learning from your mistakes, anyway. No, no, no <laughs> not that mistake, anyway. Yeah. So, um, a lorry driver pulled up. Uh, it was a Mexican guy, very nice. And uh, he took the tire off the car, put the new tire on the car, and he showed the lads how to tighten the bolts on the tire at the time. Now, I was actually on crutches at the time. I'd uh, broken my foot in um, football a couple of weeks previous, you know. And uh, off we went about five minutes later. And uh, I moved from the front of the car, the passenger side, to the back of the car we're all rotating so everyone can have a go on the front and all that kind of stuff and i moved in behind the driver's seat which lo and behold was probably the worst seat to be sitting in um a couple of minutes later we were involved in a in a car crash and the driver was kind of driving down a hill and around a bend and remember this is death valley there is nothing around other than about 20 minutes beforehand there was these four or five uh, fighter jets that flew past you know and they were they came past us before we even knew it and it was almost ironic and, and iconic in a way almost like a sign of, of troubles and and um you know uh trauma to come anyway um the driver lost control going around the bend the i suppose the luggage in the back of the car didn't help the car started swerving from side to side and it's true what they say you know these things they happen in the blink of an eye and and um the car dropped the the tire that had just been changed and um, punctured came off the car and the, the Jeep flipped uh, multiple times with us in it. Um, before I knew it, it had landed on its side. The passengers had all jumped out of the car, uh, out the broken windows, like a tin can at this stage, really. And myself and the driver were left in the car and I stood up out of the car. I remember uh, dangling my arms uh, over the, the broken windows because the car was on its side. and. I never forget the heat that hit me that day from uh, the sun. You know, it's Death Valley is known as one of the hottest places on earth, and and I believe that. And um, I tried to get out of the car. I was I was unable. And what happened next, as I've said to you before, was just a, an unbelievable experience. Like, and then the only way I can describe it is that God spoke to me. Um, and what he said to me was, he told me to sit back into the the car. And bearing in mind, sitting back into the wreck of the car at this point seemed like. Uh, a crazy idea but I did it uh, he told me to put my back up against the roof of the car uh, which I did and he told me to tell the the girls to get a pillow from the boot and put it behind my head uh, which I did so at this point I'm sitting in the car with my bum about three inches off the floor and my uh, spine and back straight up against um, the back of the car and you know adrenaline is a great thing but it wore off very quickly and I had no feeling down my left hand side at all well when I say I had no feeling I was actually very I was completely numb but the way it felt was you know when you hit your funny bone it was almost like hitting your funny bone by a, a thousand like all over my body I couldn't move my head at all I just kept moving my eyes up down uh, left and right because at the time it felt like an adequate substitute was relaxing me and I thought I was going to be paralyzed I just couldn't I couldn't move and um, he spoke to me again God spoke to me again and I just had that that crazy experience and he, just, he said to me have I ever let you down before he says you're not going to be paralyzed but you're going to have a severe neck injury 
And as soon as he said that to me, just uh, an overwhelming kind of sense of calm uh, came over me. I completely trusted and, and believed in the voice uh, that I'd heard. And I just knew that I was going to be all right. We were waiting about two hours for an ambulance to arrive because we'd no coverage at the time. So we had to wait until someone found us. They had to drive to the nearest town, get some coverage, ring an ambulance and so on. That two hour wait felt like about 15 minutes. And I have no doubt it was because of that spiritual uh, experience that I'd had. And when they pulled myself and the driver out of the car, the driver had a few cuts and bruises. He was more in shock than anything. They told us in no uncertain terms that a helicopter was going to arrive and, and take us to the nearest level one trauma center, but it could only take one of us, you know. So they were going to do a health check to see who was worse, take that person, and then the next person would follow in the next chapter half an hour later. So they took our, our blood pressure, our heart rate, did all the, the vitals and all that kind of thing. And they said that my vitals were absolutely perfect, you know. In the face of adversity, just that level of calmness that had come over me from that spiritual experience. So they they took the driver off. Um, after doing the health check, I followed about 30 minutes later and off we went to Las Vegas, um, where I was to spend the next the next year really in uh, in recovery. Like, and um, I remember when I was in the helicopter, I I just remember lying there and I think I was crying actually at the time. I had more of a fear of flying than anything else, you know. And um, <laughs> I was looking out. I was lying there and I could. They had to open the door because the turbulence was so bad. So I don't know. Maybe the air coming through helped it out or something. And I remember just seeing the strip like of Las Vegas, the iconic strip from the corner of my eye and all the lights and thinking to myself, Jesus, Pip, you need to enjoy this because there's people that pay a lot of money for, the, for these views. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, look, that's essentially where the Prosperity in People Foundation, I suppose, was born because I got into the hospital. And I was told in no uncertain terms very quickly that uh, I had broken my neck in three places. I had broken my back in four places and I would uh, I'd broken my foot. They told me I fractured my skull as well, but I still don't really believe that, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really, it didn't feel like I, was, I just felt a little bit sore up here, but it didn't feel like I fractured my neck, my, my, um, my skull, to be honest. But anyway, that's kind of where it all, uh, I suppose, was came from and it came from a place of um me having absolutely every privilege that is known to us uh, taken away from me from holding a pen uh, to sitting up out of bed to feeding myself to showering to standing outside to putting on my shoes all these things that we don't even think about that are just here in our subconscious um were things that all of a sudden i could not do for myself you know i was bed bound for you know three months or so and I remember as I was learning to walk again, I was in a, a rehabilitation center and there was this smoking area at the back of this rehabilitation center and a, a strip about seven meters long. And I was practicing my walk. I had a brace on me at the time from my chin to my hip and a big brace on my leg. You know, and I was practicing my walking like a robot uh, up to this gate. And then I turn around and go back again. And at this gate, it was about, you know, 25 meters tall. It was like a jail cell but you could actually see the world go by through the gate. It was a see-through gate. You couldn't actually open it. You couldn't go through it, but you could see through it. And um, I remember I just put my hand up against this gate and looking at the world go by and, and thinking to myself, I'm never going to take for granted uh, the privileges and uh, the life that we have ever again. And, and um, 
from there I moved on. I met a lot of homeless people is the bottom line. Homeless pro problem is, is uh, rife in the States. It's very bad here, but you're talking villages, towns, cities of homeless people and tents everywhere. Like, you know, it's a different level. Obviously there's a lot more people in that country as well. And I met a few homeless people on Christmas day while I was still out in the States. I spent a year over there and, um, I invited them into a diner because at the time I just wanted to talk to anybody, you know, and um, we had a chat. Turned out to be a mother and her son. They've been evicted uh, from their home and fallen victim of society over there. They were living uh, down in the sewers. And it's, I said, if I could, I would do something um, in their honor and in uh, aid of those who are vulnerable here in Ireland. And that's basically where the Prosperity and People Foundation uh, was, was founded upon, you know. Yeah, it's an amazing story. Uh, yeah, and especially what hit me, I suppose, was that that voice that you heard, and like I think you, you found out after that that was exactly the the right thing to do, um, for the situation that you were in. So it's like yeah, you couldn't have known that yourself. So um, yeah, spot on. I didn't I had no idea. I thought I had whiplash. Honestly, I thought I just had whiplash after that experience genuinely just thought this is severe whiplash yeah. and um when i went in and they told me that i had all those broken bones i fractured seven vertebrae in my six vertebrae apologies in my spine and um it was that makeshift spinal position against the roof of the carrier to save me like i'm sure i didn't know that i had those injuries at the time so it was a unbelievable experience and i owe a lot to to that higher power and that spirituality like you know yeah, yeah that's incredible mm. I think for a lot of people, like myself and Daryl talked about, like we'd be both quite spiritual, but a lot of people, I suppose, would kind of think it's a bit woo-woo or whatever. So it's, yeah. I think it's very powerful to hear an example like that. That's kind of yeah. hard to explain away um, as easily maybe as other things. But, totally, yeah. That's the thing as well, like, isn't it with spirituality? Like you guys are big into that, which is so cool. And like at the end of the day, spirituality, now you might not agree with me in this, but spirituality for me can be so many different things. Like it can be God, it can be physical activity, it can be yoga, meditation, but whatever it is, it has to be something, you know, that can be like, I'd always think of a triangle and to be truly happy, like you need your physical well-being, you need your mental well-being, but you need that spiritual side of things as well. And if you don't have the spiritual side of things, you, you can't be, I don't, I don't see how you can be fully happy and satisfied like Jack and I and, and have that path and that peace and knowing where you're going with your life, you know? definitely yeah because we were even saying just like an hour ago i was like um to daryl i was like sometimes you kind of forget about that connection to the yeah and it can be something like connection to nature or whatever or like a connection to your joy and your your peace and that fulfillment you get maybe from like meeting people like that's spiritual as well absolutely your fulfillment and joy and i was like sometimes you just get so caught up in the day-to-day -day of the mundane things of life like even i was there for the last few days of work and just everything seemed like a task to be ticked off and then I, I had a bit of a weird dream last night and I just kind of remembered like there's more than just the mundane things that sometimes you see sometimes it just all looks mundane and it's like you just have to reconnect mm. to that deeper part that you notice something else something bigger than you and like even if like I still question things like oh maybe that's not true or this is not true but whenever I connect to that higher power, whatever you want to call it, something bigger than me and like trust that there is something else going on besides the mundane of everyday life. 
that brings me more joy and more peace and I don't get stressed by little things because I'm like, gosh, that doesn't fucking matter anyway. So mm. whether you believe it or not, it's like find something that you can connect to. Yeah, if it's true for you, it's true for you. It doesn't matter yeah, what yeah. anyone else thinks. Yeah. Totally. What you said there, um, the triangle, mm. physical, mental, spiritual. For so long, I had the physical and the mental after I got myself clean and sober. Mm. Um, but I've said it to Cormac, I was like, I just knew there was something missing um and i was going to a psychotherapist loads i was doing loads of different things now i was tapping into the whole spiritual side of things but i hadn't found what what worked for me i hadn't found what worked for me mm-hmm. and it was really reconnecting with i suppose you could say nature um mother earth that like since i've connected with that my life is completely changed. And like Comic said, there's times where I forget about it um, because of the day-to-day of life. And I just have to keep reconnecting because I, I have the different practices that reconnect me. And it's just funny, even when you're doing them at times, if you're not giving them the right attention or you're not present with the practices, mm. you can still become disconnected. So it's just about, for me, it's like really being, trying to be present with what you're doing um that makes such a huge difference because you can be ticking off the boxes even the comment said with the business thing you can be ticking off the boxes for your spiritual practices if you're not mm-hmm. giving them some sort of presence they just they don't seem to work, work as well for me anyway personally mm-hmm. but like you said it can be anything for anyone mm-hmm. um like you don't necessarily have to believe in god to be spiritual or anything like that it's just mm-hmm. whatever it is for you and so, if it works for you it doesn't matter what it is you know, if it has a positive effect, it doesn't matter what it is. Absolutely. You know, you're spot on. And you use that key word there, peace, like, you know, that feeling, that feeling of spirituality for me, it's, it's God, you know, and that feeling that you, you, there's something bigger than you, like that's guiding you along your journey. It just gives you such inner peace because all you have to do is work hard like all you have to do is follow the path the path is already paved you just need to follow it keep working hard and be alive to that spiritual word so you know that you're on the right path and you're listening to what it's telling you along the way like do you know what i mean an example of that actually is a really good example i was talking about this yesterday i before i started doing this phd that i'm doing at the moment right what do you i doing? had an absolute dream job where I was working, and I still am, but not as much, with a company called Swimtrek, right? And I was traveling the world with this company, coaching open water swimming in the most exotic, beautiful locations all around the world, like meeting people, having that social interaction, swimming, just having everything that I wanted right there in one job. Like, you know, it was like the job was, was made for me. And I was out traveling. I think I was in New York at the time, actually, and I got a an email uh, offering me a PhD and a scholarship PhD in UL. And I did not want to do it, you know, because as far as I was concerned, I was living my best life, you know, I was happy out. But I had to at least think about it and be open to the spiritual side of things whereby I wanted to listen to my body and what it was telling me. And, And unfortunately, or at the time, I thought, unfortunately, my body was screaming at me. And telling me to to take this PhD, like you know, and sometimes you know, 
people think sometimes if you're spiritual that life is hunky dory like and that you're always you're always going to have it easy like that's not the case at all sometimes you have to actually make very tough decisions and decisions that you know you don't want to do but are going to be of benefit to you so i took it right i decided to to pack in an unbelievable job uh, in terms of traveling and go back to the academics into a phd lifestyle which is very very difficult and within a month of me starting the phd covid hit you know, and I would have been out of a job anyway with some trek. I would have been sitting on my arse thinking, why didn't I take the PhD? So it's just so important to be alive to that word because it's always there. Like it's always directing. You know when you're watching when you're doing things that are right, and you know when you're doing things um, and you're not doing things well, or, or you're doing things that are wrong. If you've opened that door towards spirituality and, and you understand it, you know what I mean? Definitely, and it's like you said, it's, your body will tell you. Yeah, like your gut will tell you that kind of intuition or that feeling your gut if you nearly if you sit and ask your body your body knows um, 100%. you know yeah. and yeah that's that's that i resonate with that when you said your body your mm. body was telling you what mm. is the phd you're doing and um, so it's a phd on the impact of um physical education physical activity and sport so movement effectively um on adolescent health and mental health so we're looking at depression anxiety uh, self-esteem life satisfaction positive mental health obesity cardiovascular disease all this really really interesting stuff um i tell you you wouldn't do a phd unless you enjoy your topic area and thank god this phd is just made for me because i love it i speak about it every day i you know it's part of the reason i do some of these podcasts is because you've got an opportunity to talk about physical activity and and that's effectively what it is you know we're we're running a, a couple of different studies at the minute. We're looking at um, the impact of it here in Ireland, particularly in schools. So uh, what impact physical education has in schools? Is, is it a priority in schools? Is there high provision? Is there low provision? Which means how is it provided? Um, do leave inserts get good opportunities in, in physical education or don't they? And we know that, you know, LCPE now is, is on the curriculum for the last couple of years. But more importantly, then we look at levels of provision. So schools with good provision, uh, schools with maybe not so good provision and correlate that against um, well-being indicators. So if a school has high levels of, of um, provision, does that necessarily mean that the students are going to have lower levels of depression and equally if a school has lower levels uh, of physical education physical activity and sport does that mean that there is going to be higher levels of depression and actually there's very very li little uh, literature on this within ireland there's lots of literature on physical activity outside of school but very little uh, literature on physical activity um in school and at the end of the day you know you spend your, a lot of your times working a lot of your time working in schools and adolescents are in school for a massive proportion of their of their adolescent lives like so it's important and so important to utilize schools as an opportunity to get young people physically active you know mm -hmm. definitely yeah and i know yeah the yeah is pe an exam subject now or yeah yeah it is it is it's offered in yeah. most schools at the moment so you can decide and choose if you want to do it all right yeah yeah which it seems to like be moving in the right direction but again like a lot of things in the school system it's like slowly moving in the right direction just a bit too slow mm -hmm. i think personally because there's just so much to change that it's like 
you'd maybe be better just starting from scratch in some sense because like even you know just we go into the schools to do talks or workshops and students are just sitting in their chairs all day every day like that's just not good for you like you know we're just we weren't born to do that and like even like your body posture when you're sitting there like you're probably hunched over like that that's like proven to lead to more depression depression if you're in those body postures more often instead of like standing up and moving around like more naturally now how do you how do you link like a hunter gatherer lifestyle into the school system where you're always moving i don't know but mm. it is something we notice like energy levels like you need to get them we get them up moving as much as possible just to get their energy up and you know bring them to life a bit because they're just sitting there and you, you're not really taking things in either like when you're sitting for so long like you're just not stimulated so I think it's it's a very interesting topic to be looking into so it is and put it this way like they obviously move so little in the school mm. and we take them out to do movement even sometimes if it's all boys or all girls um they're embarrassed to move in mm. front of people yeah like they're embarrassed to move their bodies and so now it's not their fault whatsoever mm. but it's like it's just mm. because it's that foreign to them mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. like they're just used to being in the little safe desk at the desk at the seat and it's people don't even want to move in in any way that m- might look strange or you know it's mm. it's funny like it's that's why like Carmen said we do get them out and get them moving tell them the importance of it but it's really what you're doing sounds really really cool um do you want to come work with us <laughs> <laughs> yeah sold <laughs> no i think you're, you're you're bang on there lads and that's why i think we we got on well like you know and that's why we collaborate with each other because we align in our morals and how we think about schools and young people and where we want to go with that process like you know what I mean and at the end of the day like I worked in schools I was a secondary school teacher I was a physical education English teacher albeit for a short period of time and you know I think in schools you've, you've hit the nail on the head there like is there it's so out the system is so outdated you know and it's not the teacher's fault it's not the, oh, the student's that. fault it's the policies that govern education here in ireland that uh, today that just haven't really adapted and progressed uh, in the manner that they should you know and i found myself in english classes teaching english and almost aligning um, myself with this rote learning uh, curriculum whereby I was having to give my leave insert essays that they go and learn off by heart to 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 regurgitate in an exam like which is not that's not real learning like that is not it's it's those students actually that come to third level that struggle when they actually have to think creatively and think for themselves as opposed to just regurgitating it back onto a onto a piece of paper so look it's there's a lot to be desired in schools having that said again it's important to know isn't it not the teachers fault some wonderful teachers out there and, and students it's just an outdated education system and it's it's the likes of myself and you guys more importantly in schools uh, trying to improve the the well-being side of things like PE teachers are actually in a great position because you know if you're motivated enough rather than just throwing a football into the into the court and, and letting the the boys or girls at it we can do so much from a physical education perspective, like in terms of life skills and preparing young people to take control of their own physical activity levels, to understand 
uh, what it means to work in different training zones, to, to understand how important it is to build skills of resilience and determination, commitment, work ethic, and, tr and then transfer them into the academics, into the work life, into developing relationships. There's actually so much scope uh, for PE teachers, almost more than other teachers in a school who are a lot more confined by the curriculum within a PE uh, mindset life skills can actually come to the fore if you're motivated enough uh, to make it happen. What you're saying there is scary and, and how the kids are almost programmed now to be shy to move around the place, which is scary, isn't it? Yeah, just in terms of like confidence, you just, they just seem to be lacking that confidence in themselves to just yeah. own their actual bodies. Like it's, it's kind of, it's mad to think about that we have these bodies and we're like, afraid to even just move them in certain ways yeah like even like dancing like daryl mentions it sometimes i like i was doing like dancing there during the summer anyway i was out in the grass every morning dancing away like a fool <laughs> music just to because i just feel great after it and you're moving your body yeah releasing the endorphins and also just flex like feeling more flexible after it and just like enjoying and then like i wrote down a couple of goals at the start of the year it's like more dancing more singing more enjoyable workouts it's like yeah. why don't we dance every day like it's we just go around sitting and standing and walking and it's like one of the most enjoyable things to do but we just look at it as a kind of a weird thing to do unless we're locked in a nightclub at 2 a.m on a drink, <laughs> we'll drink like we'll we'll dance then but it's like it's actually such an enjoyable thing so it's kind of like normalizing that um in the schools like we're doing like our we were doing like qigong movements and stuff um they seem to enjoy that kind of warrior dance and stuff so we're trying to make it kind of cool as well that they actually want to do it but it is uh it's just interesting how we're so disconnected from our bodies yeah oh it's crazy i think it all comes down to inhibitions isn't it like and we've so much young people i think that's normal isn't it for like i'm sure we had inhibitions when we were younger and it comes with that peace doesn't it like we are at peace with ourselves so therefore we don't care what anyone thinks or says about us you'll go out and dance in the grass i might go sing a song up the street whatever like you know and that that comes i think with with that level of peace and spirituality and all that that kind of stuff which you guys are instilling in schools so yeah exciting exciting times for you guys and what you're doing there like it's, uh, and it's like you're getting like first-hand experiences and almost data right in front of your eyes like and how this is working in schools on a regular basis that no one else no you know government minister policy maker have any of those experiences the way you do like in the classroom so i hope you're taking down notes and everything and, and oh yeah yeah, yeah. After. yeah, we do. yeah. We'll get yeah. yeah. Um, i, I kind of wanted to just move back into a bit about homelessness because even when at the start of the podcast when we were talking about it it was actually stirring up all anger in me kind of like because i used to yeah like try and help out with people on the streets like with pizza sunday club a good few years back now um and yeah it's like that anger is still kind of there I, I give up on it because i wanted to go to the root of the problem in my eyes which was education and secondly that it was just i found it very hard to you know, help people out of that situation because it is very complex, as you know yourself. And mm. we wanted to get houses for people and move them into housing, and then they could get the wraparound supports because the housing first scheme was like shown to work best. I think Medicine Hat in Alberta in Canada mm. somewhere, like they kind of ended homelessness through that housing first scheme. And I was like, 
that's what we were trying to do and it just got so complicated trying to like organize housing bodies and stuff like that and actually get the funds for one person and do it all but it it was i actually when we were doing it at the time i actually ended up i got a meeting with someone i was kind of like you in terms of like i saw all these empty houses i saw a mama at the time with mm. all these empty buildings and i kind of purposely approached it with a bit of naivety i was like right why can't we just put the people in the houses like i know there's all stupid shit in the way but like someone has to look at it at the basic like level and i had a meeting with some guy in nama and um i was kind of saying i was like well, i'm looking for a building for i think it was a homeless cafe we were looking to create something like that so we could create jobs and give them somewhere like a hostel as well maybe to stay a clean hostel because that's another big problem there's no clean hostels really yeah. um and he actually was like he had no argument against me and he was like oh yeah i'll do this and that and then just never heard anything from him again but yeah. it, i don't know what we can do about it because you look at the money that's going into it is huge yeah. remember i said i actually wrote an article i sent sent it on to you because we were talking about it but i remember some lecturer in uh, trinity showed me that like a hundred million is going into homelessness every year from the government yeah. and that's from the government funding alone into all the different homeless charities and hostels and now some of it has been used for like a lot of support services but if you think about 100 million and then they double that on donations so they're getting about 200 million into the homelessness industry it is now every year and if you divide that up by the homeless people at the time i did the calculations it was like 33 grand per person which is like a very good salary so it's like it doesn't make sense um all the money going into it all the empty houses all the fucking charities who aren't working together because realistically they're businesses as you said like um and i won't necessarily agree that money is the root of all evil but it's money's i see it as energy once it's put into a certain direction it can be good or bad it's like mm. double-edged sword i suppose it depends how it's used but all this energy going into homelessness and i just i see all these you know campaigns for focus ireland or well i probably shouldn't be naming names so <laughs> fuck them anyway um but like and there's good people working in those companies I'm, I'm sure like you know doing the best they can do but all that money people are raising it's just like it's never going to end homelessness because it's a business and what business would put themselves out of business you know what company would like so they're there to kind of put the supports but there's nothing to end it so it's like i don't know what you think the solution is seems quite simple like to put people in houses but um i just know yeah from my own frustrations with it i had to step away but i don't know how do you feel about that do you feel frustrated being the yeah worse or yeah no i think as a naive young person when i first started working with the homeless i contacted uh, a couple of the 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 bigger homeless charities assuming that we could all just pull together make this work you know and solve homelessness on a on a grand scale and very quickly i realized that nobody wanted to work with us you know none of the the smaller organizations do because uh they're focused in the right areas and they've got right intentions but the bigger the bigger ones don't and I, that was almost a shock to me it probably shouldn't have been but it was and then as you get deeper as you say you realize that actually it's a it's a bottomless pit that often doesn't want to be ended does it um, and that's mad there what you're saying like 100 million 
um, in terms of donations, isn't it? And then another right, hundred million was government funding, and then he said they usually dub, roughly double that in donations. So that's crazy. I mean, you showed me the figures, and like it's like public uh, on the government website. You can see yeah, yeah. money going into all the different uh, charities. That is absolutely crazy. Like I think in Finland it is. They've completely ended homelessness. They've gotten rid of. See, homeless shelters don't solve the problem. You know what I mean? They just prolong the problem, really. And often they can be dangerous places. Yeah. In Finland, they actually eradicated homelessness. And the first thing they did was they got rid of homeless shelters because of exactly that reason and focused fully on housing these people, you know? And as you said there, 33,000 a year, whatever it might be, like, um, goes per person, goes a very long way. It is a very complex problem. And as you say, unfortunately there's six figure salaries that need to be paid there's a whole host of staff uh there's governing bodies and and businesses but the bottom line for them is not to end homelessness it's not to end issues around depression anxiety it's not to end any of the whole host of charitable work that's done out there for a lot of these organizations the bottom line is actually uh, the bang in the buck like you know and sometimes it's hard it can be even more difficult for the likes of your uh, organization when you are organizing the pizzas and, and um, looking into housing and ourselves because we actually don't deal with monetary goods a lot of the time because we want to move away from that you know uh, side of things but at the same time if you don't have monetary goods it's very hard uh, to push forward your agendas to um, towards housing or, or education or skill development or whatever that might be. So I think I, I genuinely think that all of the big organizations could come together and we could all have an area that we focused on, you know, um, mm. whether that's housing for the likes of, of whoever it might be, you know, or uh, education, whether it is skill development, you know, people get into social housing, they need to be educated. So they need to go and develop skills so they're more employable, all that sort of stuff. And we can all have different areas that we focus on. We can focus on the mental health side of things and the correlation between homelessness and mental health and ensuring a, a full and fruitful recovery from the mental health side of things or the physical side of things, the social side of things and so on. Um, but it seems like there's not enough collaboration yeah. between the, the bigger organizations and or organizations and, and that's causing a major problem and right now it's sad to say it's hard to see an end to it it's yeah. hard to see an end to, to to and the thing is this is a model as i keep saying that you can take not just from homelessness into so many different areas of charitable work like you know what i mean oh, oh yeah it's like rampant across it. like if i remember looking at the figures and like i think it was focus ireland now someone's we come back and maybe saying I'm wrong, but it was back when I was doing Pizza Sunday, so maybe 2016. I was looking at the figures. I think they spent seventy thousand a year just on advertising. Yeah. It's like if you actually collaborate with each other, like they're advertising against each other to try raise money. That's it. And then you have CEO salaries like in the over a hundred thousand, like for a CEO of charity, and then they're putting all this money to like his job is to raise more money to pump it in to like make more money for them. I know they do. Yeah, as you said, like it's never gonna. Their business model will not solve homelessness. No matter if you give them a billion, like it will never solve it because it doesn't build houses. So yeah. it's yeah, it's like I know it's bringing up all this frustration to me. Maybe that haven't I haven't really looked into it in a while, but it's like it's annoying me to see that it's hasn't. It's actually getting worse. Mm. Like since I was there, and I kind of I couldn't see how 
without collaborating, there was no real chance of solving it or without yeah. someone coming with some sort of different approach. But I think you're you're dead right. Even like with education, which we're both focused on as well, like even us collaborating, that just multiplies like you have your synergies, like connections and like ideas. Like you don't know what you could do if that's just two people. And then like, the more we collaborate, like we're trying to collaborate with a lot of people now mm-hmm. because we're realizing education is a huge like problem to like, mental health in the country is like a big problem for young people. And it's like we're not going to be able to do it alone. So we need to work with other organizations who are of the same ethos and there's no point in us all you know being egotistical about it and being like oh no this is my thing and i don't want you know totally and exactly going in on my it's like no we need to just get kind of move past that and sometimes yeah the ego comes in but it's just remembering that it's not about that it's about the people who are trying to help here so yeah. i think yeah that's like there's probably no point in banging on about the problem but i just wanted to make people aware i suppose of the situation with the charities that because a lot of people give a lot of money to them and I think it's fair that they know what's happening with that you know of course yeah no for sure and as you say education is key education opens up a door to improvement and that collaboration side of things as you mentioned is so important and that's why we try and engage like we engage one school that's three four hundred pupils 30 40 members of staff in one visit like you know what I mean if you're doing 30 40 of those visits a year all of a sudden you're you're getting the message out there and what you're doing and what you think uh, will will help solve the problem but you've all, all of a sudden you've got thousands of other heads along with you to uh, to push forward and, and make a difference i know i'm sure you're the same every year we aim to evolve like we aim to improve we aim to to lower the numbers of of homeless people we aim to educate more people we we aim to 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 uh to, to do more and if we keep doing that every year along with everybody else along this journey you would hope um that 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 would be the ticket to um to, to solving these problems you know what i mean so you just got to keep banging on that door yeah yeah and i suppose on the other side of it is like not getting too bogged down in it either and realize like the problems will probably always be there we just have to do our part and Mm. No, might not even be in our lifetime, but we just try and enjoy it along the way and do what we can as well. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to burn out either, I suppose. Which mm-hmm. is potential when you're doing something like what you're doing, like because yeah. you're obviously doing a lot in different areas. So it's you, you looking after your well-being is the most important thing. Because if you don't do that, then you can't really give back either. So yeah, if you don't look after yourself, you can't answer what it really can you yeah very true yeah very true i often say that you know i think at the end of the day no matter what you do in life you're number one right like mm-hmm. you're number one in your life i always say that to people and you're in your physical your mental your spiritual well-being you got to put yourself first and once you're able to do that then you're going to be at your optimum to be able to help others and that's what it's all about yeah because people do and like <clears throat> i'm guilty of it too People are much quicker to help someone else than before they help themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of built into us for some reason. Um, in, the, yeah. in the majority of people have noticed. Even the teachers, like we were doing a mm-hmm. workshop with teachers a while back and um, we had a triangle that was rating yourself on um, how willing you are to help others, what was, how willing you are to help yourself most the total, how willing you are to ask for help. Ask for help. And like everyone was up on the 10 out of 10 for willing to help others and then willing to help themselves or ask for help right mm. down. Really? Right down. Yeah. yeah. And mm. like 
that was across the board. So it's like, um, that probably comes. They were teachers, so they're like, mm-hmm. and they're working in outreach, so they're mm-hmm. they're very given of themselves, but mm-hmm. to their own detriment if they're not yes. looking after themselves. And that's what we were there to like show them. It's like you need to look after yourself, like because you're gonna burn out, or you're, you're more effective. Well, yeah. If you really want to help young people, you need to help yourself first. Yeah, spot on. But I think it's probably, it could be an Irish psyche or something where it's like, you should sacrifice yourself for everyone else. It seems to be from what I've seen, like Irish people, like the Irish, yeah. Like even say our mother or whatever, like, you know, it probably changes when you're a parent, I suppose you're more, you're sacrificing for your kids, but it's still important. Like we're just trying to get that message to people that just look after yourself first. Mm. Because like, even if it is for your kids, they want you at your best, you know? Totally. That's looking after yourself, then you're setting an example. Yes. Like by doing these things, like taking care of yourself and physically, mentally, spiritually, like other people will see that then, and it has a knock-on effect, one hundred percent. Like I would always say that to the students. You might even like they could even have a positive effect on their parents, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or younger brothers or older brothers and sisters, like you know. So it's like it always comes because someone said that like sometimes it can get overwhelming when you think about all these problems or whatever you want to call them like it can get overwhelming it's like oh what the mm-hmm. fuck can i even do and it's like just bring it back to looking after yourself totally. like do your part like look after you serve others if that's what you want to do or just yeah it just all comes back to the only thing that you can control is what you do with yourself yeah no that's it mm-hmm. you know and if everybody could kind of realize that then i think a lot of the problems would just go straight down mm-hmm. you know um but look that's that's why we're here isn't it that's why we're doing what we're doing yeah try and help get that message out there of course i think as well you know leading people follow like you're not gonna especially if you do it with purpose you know and if you're looking after yourself you're leading by example you know if you if you do that with with endeavor you know people see that and people watch learn and, and follow like and understand you're not going to and that's i'm sure what some of these podcasts are about as well is by leading my example by sharing um where you're at and where you're going and helping others avoid some of the same pitfalls develop some similar skills you know we're not gurus end of the day like we can only speak about our own experiences and, and where we're at but i think leadership is a real part in that and and you know people can w- watch us and learn from us but also we're constantly learning from those around you you know and i think the day that you stop learning is the day that you you, you should just you should be done with life like you know because at the end of the day you're always learning aren't you you know whether i go to, to a football match uh, to a gaelic match to a swimming competition i'm always close to coaches because I, I want to see how they interact i want to see how they they manage uh, their their athletes i want to um i want to see how they hold themselves and uh, and how they go about their business so you got to be constantly open to learning and evolving and adapting um around, to those around you don't you yeah 100 like everything that we do like we've either learned or seen from someone else like and even if even i think sometimes the things that might come to you intuitively mm-hmm. that's coming from it's still coming it's coming from you but it's like it's still in you from maybe your ancestors or something do you know what i mean it's like 
it's all like it's <laughs> all just here to help each other. I've seen a thing um, recently. It was like, rarely does somebody heal in isolation. Mm. So yeah. it's like, that's why like human connection is just so vitally important. Yeah. You know? and, like I've only really discovered the power recently, like in the last year or so of like complete honesty. And I'm still learning with it because it can be very hard to be totally vulnerable. But yeah. when you kind of push your comfort zone with honesty at times, it's fucking freeing. Mm-hmm. You know? um, totally. Yeah. To I don't know. Like, yeah, it's very hard to get to that state of absolute, say, like we all have those things. But it's like even stepping into it, mm. even just stepping into it now and then, like yeah. really, really healing and freeing. Oh man, you've hit the nail head. I think myself and yourself have similar backgrounds there in terms of addiction, like you know, and, and overcoming addiction. Until I was 25, there was particularly over the years where I was an addict, like there was not an honest bone in my body because although I had a good heart, I know I always had a, a good heart, I uh, would do anything to to get what i needed to get at that point in my life like no more than i'm sure you might say different but i, I know from speaking to many addicts like that would be uh very similar oh i totally agree yeah yeah and i think uh that honesty is as you say it is so free and i have a big smile on my face there as you're saying that because i've in, you know even with little things i i am 100 honest now no matter what and it's the nicest feeling because you have nothing to hide. Even if you fuck up, like even if you do something wrong, if you're honest about it, it's just so much better than than bullshit and a bullshitter. Like, do you know what I mean? And living that honest life, I think it's uh oh, it's it's just it's so so important moving forward and that and that freedom uh that it gives you. But yeah, you've you hit the nail on the head there, man. It's a it's a beautiful thing, like and it's a it's a lovely feeling for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think some people think like you know, honesty is this virtue that I should strive for because, you know, it's a good Christian thing to do, but it's fuck all that. It's for you. Like being honest will make you feel so much more at peace in yourself. And like, it is one of my core values, whether it's authenticity, but honesty was within that value. And like, there is levels to it as Dara was saying, like sometimes like, I'm like, I'm thinking I'm being honest, but then like, shit, I'm actually holding back some things here. Yeah. come out so it's just trying to catch yourself when you're like what am i holding back and i think that's why say men's circles we just did one at the weekend it's like that's why that's so powerful because you're like oh, I, I know here mm. i can be fully honest and just let down the guard and no one's going to judge me and like we're all sharing shit here that like no one's going to re-say it because it's a sacred space and you just mm. like one of the lads that was there was kind of saying how when it was coming to his turn to speak, he was thinking in his head, what's he going to say? And I do that as well. Sometimes I'm like, oh, she's what am I going to talk? What am I going to share? What am I going to say? Like, that's the ego kind of thinking, how, how do I want myself to look in front of all these other men? Mm-hmm. And I try to like catch that. And then when it comes to me, just talk without mm-hmm. having a script in my head, without planning yeah. it, just talk from the heart, I suppose. Like, how do I actually feel? Ooh. And then when you just, you might say something that, you know, you'd usually feel maybe ashamed or embarrassed. And just when you get it off your chest and no one judges you, everyone's just like, that's it. Yeah, it's the honesty. And you're like, fuck me. I feel so much lighter now. And like, why was I carrying that? You know? Totally. 
So I, I learned a lot from my girlfriend actually. I remember um like vulnerability is actually so important. Like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is a breed strength, you know. And I I was hurt badly in a relationship when I was a young, very young lad. I was only a teenager, but it hurt, you know. And um since then, particularly in the early years after that, I struggled in relationships because I was just haunted by some of the things that went on at the time, you know, and I used to have this real negative view of vulnerability because I used to think if I was vulnerable, I would be hurt. Like, you know, when actually I, I met my um, beautiful girlfriend and, you know, she taught me all about vulnerability and she changed the lens in how I actually looked at it in terms of if you can get vulnerable, you should actually almost try and get vulnerable as much as possible once you're around the right people. Because when we get vulnerable together, we we almost trust each other on another level. Like we're building communication and and um, and strength in a in a completely different way. And by getting vulnerable and showing your full set of cards and where you're at in life and the mistakes that you've made and the things that you've done well, then you've gotten under the hide, and it just it gives you uh, such strength and peace almost uh, as you as you move forward. Like and it's that kind of I just think it's that vulnerability that um, that is almost like, you know, in terms of destigmatizing, you want to destigmatize around vulnerability because it almost sounds like a negative word, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That's just, that's just the way that society has has allowed us to to look at it. But actually, it's a sign of strength, you know. Mm. And it creates like what you said there, a different trust. It's like such a strong connection that that vulnerability creates when two people are vulnerable together absolutely but like you said it's a negative word if someone says he's vulnerable it's Mm -hmm. like she's vulnerable it's like associated with weak weakness yeah yeah Yeah. well coming back to what you kind of comes back to what you said at the start with people or prosperity and people it's like yeah they're vulnerable in society but vulnerability really is it can be a strength when it's you look at it that way like it is the hardest thing to do is for for men anyway maybe women could be different i can only speak as a man and for mm. men i know is being completely vulnerable is one of the hardest things for us to do like mm. where the men that are like oh i won't come down to a circle i'd be too afraid to yeah. share how i actually feel yeah. but um just yeah so it's it is a strength to be able to do that and that's where the pitch squeeze come from isn't it? that's what we're all about destigmatizing what it means to be a pipsqueak you know what i mean and um like we're we're breaking down barriers here like when we're here today doing these podcasts get having chats about these things like you're breaking down barriers and, and stigma associated with these things that that people don't like to talk out loud about like an almost cringe when you talk about depression yeah. like and anxiety and uh, suicide and uh, addiction and all these things that are true and they're here and we need to have those conversations to break down those barriers and um and build strength and unity around them like you look at Sinead O'Connor's son there um who just died from suicide there this week you know like it's a problem that seems again uh, to be getting worse in many ways yes there are more people talking about it and I can say that as a matter of fact because I had my own problems around depression and anxiety uh, 10 11 years ago and I can tell you uh, for me it felt like there was much more shame associated back then but today the same problems the exact same problems exist you know what i mean like i went into a hospital 
back in 2011 after attempting to take my own life the night before and I was lucky that the rope snapped you know I went into to A&E and uh, she basically now this is the thing again nurses doctors very similar to schools brilliant people teachers brilliant people but it's the policies that govern these places that is the problem and I walked into this uh, hospital A&E with my best friend at the time I told them what had happened the night before I told them that I had issues around uh, al alcohol abuse and she told me very quickly that actually they look on mental health and addiction as two separate entities you know so very quickly I was handed a pamphlet uh, on addiction and I was told to go solve my issues with addiction and come back when I had them solved and we could uh, start to take a look at the mental health issues, you know, and I was lucky enough to have a friend waiting and family members waiting outside to put their arm around me and make sure that I got the help uh, that I needed at that particular time. But the likes of Sinead O'Connor's son and people up and down the country every day of the week that are being turned away, not because the nurses and doctors want to turn them away, but because of the policies that underpin the practice that goes on in these places uh, is actually pretty frightening when you think about it. Like, you know, imagine going into a hospital and saying, you know, I, I, I attempted to take my own life last night. Please, will you help me? Like, it's hard enough to do that as it is and be turned away. You, you, no wonder, like, people are walking away from hospitals and, and, and taking their own life because how hopeless would you feel? So that's a crime in itself. And that yeah. angers me just as much as the homeless side of things when I think about it, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah, I don't know much about about that system myself but i did hear a couple of similar stories like just being turned away when it's like what what do young people like we talk about it the government's talking about mental health and there's a lot of talk but not a lot of action and i'd be a big one for just fucking do something about it like and yeah talking's important for a step awareness is important but it only gets you so far it's like we need to actually teach them the tools to like deal with the, the problems they're facing or gives them the support networks or the counseling or the therapy, whatever it is they need. It's like just people talking about it on social media is not going to help yeah. some 16, 17 year old that's struggling with the negative thoughts and they don't know, don't feel worthy of love or whatever it is. So like it is getting those supports in hospitals or wherever schools, wherever people go to for the supports, I think. Yeah. So it's, but I think it's classic kind of Irish government or maybe most governments but like a lot of talk about things and money's going into this area but it's action it's hard to see the results on the ground like even in schools like they talk about these well-being policies they have and you're reading the documents you're like Jesus this sounds like schools have it all sorted but then you go in there and like yeah. the students are like you know stressed anxious and depressed it's like clearly just some mismatch here with the policy with the implementation of these things mm. that the government say they're going to do so um so it's a pity that small company or like businesses like us and you have to you know pick up the scraps yeah but i suppose that's why collaboration is the important part mm -hmm. well i put it this way man right um i had very bad skin when i was younger right i went to a dermatologist and when i went into this dermatologist there's a list of 15 substances uh that you're going to go through before you get to the bottom of that list which is the most invasive uh, drug, which is Roaccutane, right? For bad acne, right? Before you get to the most invasive, you're going to go through creams, gels, 
uh, pills, that kind, of, that kind of thing, and see if they work, less invasive, right? Why are we implementing the same ideologies and policies within the sphere of, of mental health, right? Yes, um, pills and uh, anxiety pills and all that kind of stuff serve a purpose in society. Yes, they do. Of course they do. Why aren't we going through a list of natural remedies uh, to remedy uh, issues around depression or anxiety, for example, physical activity. Okay. Dancing, like comics. Are. Yeah, dancing, whatever it is. You know, are you are you physically active? No, I'm not, which is a common, a very common trend, not only amongst people who are suffering with mental health, but in general, like not enough people are active. Okay, you're not active, right? Let's prescribe you three to four physical activity sessions a week for 60 minutes a day at a moderate to vigorous intensity, right? What is your diet like at this moment in time? Are you eating? No, you're not. Okay, let's prescribe you regular breakfast, regular lunch, regular dinner, a balanced diet of proteins, vitamins, uh, whatever it might be, high doses of vitamin B12, which we know has a positive psychological process in the brain. You know, what's your social interaction like? Are you engaging with people? No, I'm not. Okay, well, let's prescribe you, you know, whatever it is, a feckin', yeah. a chat with your mother, a chat with your brother, a chat with your sister, an uncle, an auntie, a friend, a game of chess. Uh, are you sleeping? No, I'm not. Okay, well, let's let's try and remedy that and, and try and get a nice consistent level of seven to eight hours or even nine hours, if you're lucky, every single night. And the thing is, these areas are free, pretty much, bar the food, which I'm sure you can get a hand with. These areas are free. They're areas that you can take control of today. And here's the thing. You absolutely, positively will feel better. You might not be cured but you will feel better. And anyone that's listening, I can I can tell you right now, I'll give you a thousand euro. If you don't, if you take this on board for six months on a consistent basis and you're suffering today, if you can sit there and tell me you don't feel better, I'll give every person that's listening a thousand euro. I'll give them 10,000 euro because I know for a fact that it, it, it does what it's supposed to do. You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. And I think we are yeah, definitely on the same page there because there's so many practices that you can do just to, you know, feel better. And it, most, most of the time, sometimes it can be something more serious. Yeah. As you said, but like most of the time implementing some of those simple yeah. pra- healthy lifestyle practices, is going to get you a long way to feeling better. You got a, a couple of people calling in for that 10,000 yeah. euro now, Cormac, yeah, you know, <laughs> but no, you're right. You're right. I'm sure that's what you talk about in schools as well. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> it actually reminds me of, Qigong course I'm doing. Um, it's like a, one of the five Chinese medicines along with acupuncture and different massage. herbal stuff, mm. um, massage. There's, um, I'm not sure what country it's in, but the model they have is you pay a doctor a monthly mm-hmm. subscription. Mm-hmm. He prescribes you personally what you like. There's Qigongs in there. There's all different things. You stop paying if you get sick. Mm. You know, it's like flipping the whole thing on its head mm-hmm. you know it's um it's like preventative medicine rather than yeah yeah like Correct. those things like dancing singing they are medicine like mm-hmm. um like what Cormac's doing out there like if you got up every day and danced for 10 or 15 minutes even like just throwing your body around it doesn't have to be a certain type of dance moving yeah. your body around at that you can't feel shit after that yeah okay maybe you can like but like you more than likely won't and 
if you are like say chronically down in yourself it will still bring you up like you know it's it might not like you said it might not solve the problem mm-hmm. but intertwined with different things like proper nutrition proper hydration like our minds and our bodies are completely one thing mm-hmm. you know so if we look after the bodies in the physical way of um what we're putting into it it's going to make our minds better and like the opposite as well if there's if we're stressed and anxious we're going to hold it somewhere in our body mm. now i had an experience there recently i had a very bad lower back hip for over 10 years and i got it released and when it released i realized it was an emotional thing that i'd been carrying around with me for over 10 years wow. and it was a very profound experience i had a lot of flashbacks of different events in my life that um very quick all very quick it was when my hip popped out um and all these different flashbacks of um i suppose what you call traumatic events and and then even the constant day-to-day of me just like uh, complaining about it and walking around and trying to crack it this all happened in like five ten seconds Uh all these flashbacks and boom it was just gone my hips were free and like that was all emotional you know so it's like there's just no separation from the mind and body so if if our minds are stressed we can just look after the body and it will in turn you know just help your mind too like all them things you listed there they're just i think it's much easier as well to for pe- a lot of people like to go for the body first because like it can be hard to mm. try still get negative thoughts and it's hard like, as much as you know it's like oh change the script you know focus on the positive or you know gratitude it's a lot harder when you're caught in that mind to change it with your mind because it's like whatever einstein said you can't solve the problem with what created so if you go and move do exercise like i think it was andrew huberman talking about studies where it's like like they shown that if you actually move forward it's like gets rid of stress because stress is telling your body you need back in the day when you were hunter gatherers mm. you need to go get food that's why you felt stressed so you feel stressed when you're like i'm not sure if i have enough money for the rent you're feeling the stress because that's like go move do something get the food get the, the money mm. and then so when you actually move you're getting rid of that stress automatically your body's like oh you're wait you're doing something now i'll leave you alone i'll make you stressed so i think it's a much easier approach for a lot of people that maybe be like oh meditation's too hard for me like it's probably the, not the easiest one to start with meditation because like you know you want to probably be at a certain well i think anyone can do it it doesn't matter if you're thinking or not thinking you're still meditating it's just turning up but it's a more attractive to go towards the body go practices. for a walk yeah a walk yeah. simple as that like that's what i do is get rid of any my mind's getting a bit cluttered just go for a walk the sun's shining might even put on music i might not but that's powerful as it has to be as simple as it has to be yeah totally no you're you're spot on the money there and i think the key concept there particularly like you're talking dancing physical activity you know meditation is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable you know if you can start to get comfortable with being uncomfortable let's say for example in a physical activity setting where you're you're sweating your heart is racing you're getting tightness across the chest 
then you are building skills, resilience, determination, commitment, and work ethic that are easy, easily applicable uh, into everyday life. Like, but not only that, like if you can, let's say again, physical activity, just as, as an example, if you can elevate your heart rate to a high enough level, this is all in a control environment, physical activity, right? You can elevate your heart rate to a high enough level. You cannot think about how depressed you feel or anxious you feel or the symptoms associated with how you're feeling at that particular time because the physical activity and more importantly the elevated heart rate actually ensures and focuses you on the present it pushes you into the present and focuses you on the here and now because all you can think is i can't is how fucking painful it is that you're uh, working at, at such a good intensity you know what i mean and the same thing can be said for the likes of cold water therapy like same prince same exact same principles you jump in cold water uh, which i do every single day and it forces you into the present you get into the cold water you might have a thousand problems and you come out with a solution because you can't you can't actually think about anything other than the water and how how damn fucking cold it is and i think the word they use in the research world is exposure like are you exposing yourself to the elements and the more you put yourself outside that comfort zone you know yourself people today they're just stuck inside that little circle and they struggle to step outside of it whether it's a school with those students whether it's through physical activity meditation whatever it might be but once you get a taste for stepping outside that comfort zone i i have i've almost become addicted to it i almost try and do it every day now where i constantly want to be stepping outside that because that's it's that area outside that little circle is where improvement is. That's where longevity is. That's where health is. That's where meditation meditation is and open up your mind to a, a better life and open up the door to, to step into a, a new and more uh, fulfilled life. So, yeah, I just think it's, um, it's massive, isn't it? It's huge. I think, you know, there's definitely, there's a book, The Comfort Crisis. I can't remember your man's name now, but I think that's, that's like one of the things is like we're just too comfortable in society at the, today and that's why we feel stressed and anxious all these problems yeah because yeah. we're just not pushed enough we don't push ourselves enough so i think that's such mm. good advice is just like just step outside that comfort zone and then everything becomes easier you know? yeah and once you do it once i think at the hardest time it must be the first time i can't remember now what, what it was like to be inside that comfort zone but the hardest time i'm sure Actually, I have a really good example of this, right? I told you that story about God and that spiritual experience I had in the car. Remember, I was due to tell the story on the Ryan Torberti show uh, back a couple of years ago. And I was shitting myself, like absolutely shitting myself because I still had a lot of those um, demons where you worry about what people are going to think of you when you tell them that you had this spiritual experience, like, you know? and um, the night before I was going to cancel, I was going to ring them and say, I'm not doing it like, because I just, I just couldn't face it. You know, know that feeling. Uh, yeah. Long story short that evening, crazy. I logged onto Facebook. First thing that came up on Facebook, it was a religious statement, but it, it stuck with me. It was something along the lines of like, as you're about to achieve something great, um, is when you have those doubts or the devil, you know, interjects only when you're about to achieve something astronomically good, like, you know, and that just kind of set me straight. I went and I did it. I stepped outside my comfort zone 
it was the best thing I ever did. Like there was no negativity associated with it at all. It was all in my head, like, and that what I projected people to think about it. It was all positive stuff and it opened up so many doors to, to help others. You know what I mean? So once you get a little taste for it and you do it that first time, these podcasts talking about depression, anxiety, all that kind of stuff. Once you do it the first time, which is the hardest and you, and you get a taste for it, I think it's almost addictive. You want more and more and more of it. Do you know what I mean? I remember when we went to do our first talk, first time we were going to stand in front of students and i think there was a good 80 something of them or something brilliant yeah it was a big group in a um and i remember on the way there i was just like what the fuck am i (laughs) like i just wanted to be anywhere else i was like i was like getting envious of people who just had to sit at the desk and not talk to anyone like you know this is just all this kind of random stuff going in into my head like um and like you said, it was right, right up to the moment where I started speaking, Do you know, just, I suppose a bit of imposter syndrome comes in then as well. It's like, who am I to be doing this? And, mm-hmm. um, and I hear from talking to a lot of people that that happens to most people, do you know, at some point. Um, but yeah, stepping out of comfort zone and doing it, the, the, when you do that that first time, it take it's like a, it just takes you onto a different level of confidence. Maybe even though it can come back in, you'll yeah. still do it though. Yeah. Once you've done it that first time, mm. you know the the feelings might nearly be just as strong again, um. But you 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 nearly know you're going to do it. Whereas that first time is the time where you could crumble and not do it. Yeah. It's just mm. taking that step, and there's the only thing you can do is take it. It's mm. like people kind of. Where we are now, people are like, oh, oh, can you tell me like, what's ready. the best way to do it? It's like, <laughs> you just have to do it. Like, you know, people ready. want a comfortable way of stepping out with a comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it doesn't exist. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think failure is, a, again, it's a man-made, it's a man-made, you know, phenomenon. Because at the end of the day, like, I love, I actually love failure. I honestly, I'm not just saying that. I love it. And I genuinely do because to me, like failure has given me so much more than success has. Like, you know, every single time I fail at something, the thing is, it's just a terrible word because I read a quote recently or something along the lines of if there was no such thing as failure in life, where would you be? What would you be doing? Like, and that's the way you have to look at life because at the end of the day, it's perspective. Two things are going to happen when you decide to make a decision to do something, anything, podcast, whatever it might be. You're either going to do exactly what you wanted to do and it's going to be a roar and success, which is great. And then you move on to the next level and the next step and you move forward or else it's not going to go well. Or, um, you know, you don't, you, it doesn't happen the way you set out that it was going to happen. But boy, do you learn from it? Do you gain so much in terms of mental resolve that when, if you're, if you're strong enough to go back and do it again, which you should be, you will achieve it. You're not going to, and that's the thing. If you're consistent enough on a daily basis to get to where you want to be, you will get there. There's no doubt about it. You know, A, B, if you keep, if you keep making those steps in the right direction, however big they might be, uh, you'll get there. So I think failure is massive. And I, it's so important to develop those skills. Like you're not going to, and it's so cliche. Oh, everybody fails. But they do like you know um isn't there an interesting quote i think is it michael jordan something about all the 
the free shots. Yes, he, another he one. I can't remember it though. Yeah, he missed. He missed like a couple of thousand points or something like that to get to where he he needs to be. So I don't understand that that I suppose ideology and how people look at failure. I get it maybe when people are young, but it must be it's bred. It's kind of bed into them from somewhere. Like people don't aren't born thinking that way about failure. So it it's that nature and nurture, isn't it? And I think I we need thinking to, that I think it is bred into us in school because it's you yeah. fail an exam and that's it. That's not good enough. But you get in like you get in trouble for failing. You get in trouble for failing. So it's, you know it's like a bad it's thing. It's to be feared and you're you're like a F student now. You're labeled as a failure. You know it's it's not it's ridiculous. There's no like and then you go to the workplace. You can't just submit your work and it not be good enough. They'd be like, go back and fix that until it's good enough. It's like, that's yeah. feedback. Like, mm-hmm. there's no failure, only feedback is another, I think mm-hmm. it's a backhand-field quote. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's what failure should be, just feedback. So like, you should be getting it back. Like, fix that until it's good enough to be acceptable. Yeah. And that's, you know, another thing just for education terms is like, you shouldn't be labeling students, like grading them like from A to F. <coughs> you're an F student and you're an A student. Therefore, the A student's a better person than you. Which is the that's kind of the concept you come out with, whether it's subconscious or conscious. It's you're like, oh, I'm a B student. Like I always thought I'm a good B student or something. Like that's what I had this weird thought of. But um it's such bullshit really. Like so I think we do get it from school and but actually on that I was thinking of asking you what's the question I always ask is uh you know what you think about failure, but what's your definition of success? Uh Good question. Very off the cuff. I like it. My def- oh, he asked this, he asked oh, this every, every single podcast. Very planned, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, the definition of success, well, I'll tell you what came into my head as soon as yeah. you asked me that question, is peace, happiness, unity. Um, I think that, that inner peace, for me, success has nothing to do with you know, money. Success has nothing to do with academics particularly for us, we've been through trauma. We know what it's like to go through trauma. So for me, success is being happy and at peace. Um, and for me to be at happy and at, and at peace means being physically active. It means be, being able to talk to people. It means having a nice meal. For me, it means not being an addict. It means making the right choices and, and being proud of those um, choices that you've made. And that was the first word that came into my head, peace happiness just to be in that place of com- complete uh, contentness with life and i go to bed and i, I give thanks to, you know different stages stages in life you're more or less uh, in those moments and you know life is full of peaks and troughs isn't it but when i have those moments where i'm 100 content i always give thanks because it's the it's the best feeling in the world like and it doesn't mean you're wearing a you know, a goose jacket or anything like that. It means that you're just happy. You, it doesn't matter where you are. You're just, you're content and happy, you know? What about you? <laughs> yeah, um, well, for me, actually, someone asked me this yesterday. Yeah. A, mentor, a business mentor. And I was like, hey, that's my question that I always ask people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I suppose for me, it's, it boils down to enjoying my life. Um, I used to say enjoying my life and helping people. But I think it just boils down to enjoying my life because when I'm enjoying my life, I'll naturally probably help people um, just by, you know, radiating joy and love. I know it's a, some people think it's a fluffy word, but it's probably one of my favorites. But like, just feeling that, yeah, 
I'm I have this one life that I'm actually making the most of it every day like yeah. and yeah having that connectedness to myself and contentment every day which as you said it doesn't always be there so but I'm yeah. like if I can every day be like what do I want to do today to enjoy my life and yeah. helping people is one part of that you know dancing connecting with people talking mm. um being yeah just being true to myself I suppose so yeah, that, yeah. kind of that's a bit of a long-winded answer for you think I would have thought that one probably but yeah <laughs> what are you Daryl we'll throw it at you as well will we <laughs> that's a success <coughs> Omic used the word there can being content with myself mm. being happy in like right now no matter like you said no matter where I am just being able to be happy within myself to have and like the mo- one of the most important things for me is connection mm. with people and the earth but like with everything really like i have these moments of a lot of time it comes when i'm um sitting in the room with myself like you know uh the self-economic doing this program at the moment and part of it well it, i don't know if this is this is part of the way we're doing it anyway is sitting in the darkness in the mornings in the room and i have these moments of connection to to everything and that's like ultimate peace for me maybe um and that's just being able to feel that at times and then the connection with people when they're there like my partner amanda now of the connection i have with her is something i'd never had with in a relationship so that to me feels like success too not in the way of oh yes i've achieved this but like Mm. just that contentment Mm. you know and like comic said love and it's it's a different kind of level that i than i'd ever experienced with any other partner because it's a very i don't need anything from her it's like a very non-judgmental sort of thing now things like come in judgments come in and stuff like that you know my ego comes in i'm not Mm -hmm. saying it doesn't like it definitely comes in at times but when i take when i'm able to take a step back and really appreciate what i have with her even with my family now with cormac my brother's like because there was a time in my life where i never thought i was going to ever have that you know it was like it was gone at times i felt like it was as good as completely gone um my connection with people because like we talked about earlier the in addiction you play a lot and you'll do anything and everything is a secret like you don't want anyone to know who you really are because yeah. you can't stand that person mm-hmm. you know so it's like every single part of my life was fake nearly yeah money yeah it genuinely was because i would never be honest about anything you know i would be saying things to half try and convince people i was all right and it's like and myself trying to convince myself you know Anyway, fuck, go back to <laughs> um, go back to the question. But yeah, boils all down, I think, to contentment, connection, yeah. peace within myself. Yeah. Um, absolutely fucking nothing to do with money or yeah, anything yeah. like that because it just yeah, it can bring. I actually heard a student the other day. They were debating in yesterday in Donegal. We were doing a workshop and there were students debating about what they wanted to do in life. 
and one guy was like money does bring you happiness <laughs> and he was like giving all the examples of why it does i thought it was hilarious because obviously the teenagers and stuff but, yeah. but like <laughs> yeah. it, it can bring you like short-term um satisfaction, satisfaction. yeah that's a good one so mm. short-term satisfaction you know but true happiness has to come from within yourself yeah um because the money as you can see with a lot of people it's they use the money just to constantly get that short-term satisfaction and it's it's another addiction you just need to keep doing that if you can if, if there's nothing in there if there's nothing inside yourself totally you're looking for happiness from the external world instead of your yeah. internal world so it's totally. never it's the external world is is finite and your internal joy is infinite so mm. like if you don't get it from here then you're always going to be looking totally looking at it, yeah yeah you've latched on to so many good things there like it's the same it's great to be at that stage in our lives isn't it like i feel so grateful as i say like i remember i remember sitting down with my mother i think i said that to you didn't I? one day and i was just i was crying i said to her i just want to live a normal life did i tell you that i can't even remember i, I just said to her i just remember i was causing a lot of trouble i was I was in and out of court. I was heavily addicted and my family had been so good to me, you know, and coming from a very good family at that. I remember one day I was just crying and I was gripped by addiction to a, a very strong level. And um, I said, I just want to live that normal life and go to work in the morning, go for a surf in the evening, free of all ailments. So now, you know, that's what success is, isn't it? When you're at, when you're at that stage of life where you're free man you're just free in life you're happy you're you're content it's uh yeah it's class and, you, and the thing is you cannot take it for granted because it can it can be taken away from you yes. just like that like you know yes and it can be completely gone in certain moments mm. oh it's Ooh. just it's you can nearly forget that you even have ever had it it's just that like we spoke about at the start just reconnecting to whatever yeah. it is um that works for you mm -hmm. you know to bring you back to Absolutely. that present moment and get out of the, the stresses of this matrix that we live in or whatever. You know? yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think that's maybe a nice place to end it because yeah, that was... summed up life there. Our <laughs> <laughs> take on it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I think there's one other question we use, I'm supposed to ask, but I always forget. Uh, what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah. Is it, yeah that question what advice would you give to your 16 to 18 year old self not that now see the question the problem i have with this question now is i not that you'd want to change anything that happened in your life up to this yeah, point yeah. because then you wouldn't be talking to us right now exactly but, but if there was advice to I give think back it's a good way to say it is what would you, advice would you give to someone in a similar situation to you that's now 16 yeah, yeah. okay yes. well that's a good question and uh, it's actually a great way to to end the talk like i think there's one key word for me that stands out above most other concepts and that's consistency for me you know whether you want to be an astronaut whether you want to be a teacher whether you just want to sit in your arse whether you want to be happy sad in between active whatever it might be you need to be consistent and in Ireland and a lot of other countries were very, very bad at being consistent at something on a regular basis, whether 
you know, you want that magic pill to feel better, or whether you do a week's worth of exercise and you expect to lose 100 pounds and so on and so forth. If you can be consistently good day in, day out, when I say good, I mean work at it, you know, putting in the effort, uh, grinding, whatever that might be, uh, focusing on yourself, going into meditation. You know, we're seeing the true benefits of meditation now, right? A couple of years on regular meditation and, and the fruits of that. And we're going to see the benefits of that in 5, 10, 15, 20 years time. Like, and it's going to keep growing. If you can be consistent in life, whatever you want to be, you'll be happy uh, and you'll be successful at stuff. You'll be prosperous physically, mentally and emotionally. And, um, you know, that's that's just a key word for me. If you, if, if you can be consistent, that's, uh, that is probably one of the hardest things, but probably one of the most important things to be able to do uh, within your life, whether you're, you're young, old, or somewhere in between. Wow, brilliant. Yeah, that's very good advice. Well, thanks very much, Pippi. That was actually very, very enjoyable conversation. Yeah, it's brilliant. Thanks for having me, lads. Yeah, Pleasure as always. Well. It's been a pleasure, yeah. I'm sure we'll be seeing you soon. Yeah, definitely. We'll be in touch.